You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. as the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's interesting, after this, Jesus talks about uh, the cost of following him, and if anyone comes to him and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, children, it's not a hatred emotionally, it's just a, it's just a priority, priority. And you can get so involved in, in life and family and marriage and buying the extra piece of land and business doing well and, you know, getting somewhere in life, and life is going well, life's going good, and that's the excuse. You're just caught up in life. God has issued an invitation to the greatest celebration that will ever exist. It's an offer of a lifetime, an offer of paradise, forgiveness, peace, and eternity. Yet, as Pastor Danny will explain today, too many people are simply too caught up in life to accept the invitation. Too many things, and good things, fill up your life so that you can't see beyond them to the incredible future to come. Don't allow the things in this life lull you into a complacency so that you can't see your need for heaven. Accept the incredible invitation of Jesus. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Luke, chapter 13, as he begins his message, Parable of the Great Banquet. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14. I'm going to read a whole section and hone in on one particular one. Verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Prominent Pharisee. It's interesting, the Pharisees were the ones so much against him. But if you are careful in reading your Gospel accounts, you'll know that anytime Jesus got invited to a meal... He went. Sometimes he'd invite himself, that little fellow, the chief tax collector. I always picture him as Danny DeVito, but his name was Zacchaeus. Lived in Jericho. Jesus was coming through Jericho. Zacchaeus, being a short man, couldn't get a sight of Jesus, so he climbed up this sycamore fig tree, and Jesus trees him. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I got to go to your house today. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Here he's eating at the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him, sent him away. That'll add some tension to the dinner. And then he asked them, One of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day. Will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, in this culture there were certain uh, places at the table that were more honorable than others. So when he saw the guest picking the places of honor, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, 
interesting, a wedding feast. This is not a wedding. This is on the Sabbath. doesn't appear to be a wedding feast. But it's interesting, he says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, uh, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you get the idea that these are people that are just trying to get ahead in life. They're picking the best places, wanting to move up. And the values of heaven teach us the way to go up is down. Then, verse 12, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. Four groups of people, friends, people of your own race, relatives, blood kin, or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite, and here he gives four contrast groups of people, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, which if you stop and think about it, that's kind of a hint. He's saying real Christians, that's what they would do. And they'll be rewarded for it at the resurrection. Well, verse 15 is interesting. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. All the Bible saints had this knowledge of a future heavenly feast. Uh, They didn't have all the answers to the details, but... They had seven feasts, the Jews did. God's a feasting kind of a God. He loves it when his people come together and feast. But there's an ultimate feast in the coming kingdom. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus replied, takes another opportunity to teach him. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Listen to the excuses. The first said, I just bought a field, just bought another piece of land. Got to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. Please excuse me. I love the third excuse. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back, reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry. He gets angry. And he ordered his servant, and go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. So some time passes here. Servant goes and does it. But he comes back and he says, there's still room. And then the master told his servant, then go out to the roads and the country lanes 
and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who had been invited will get a taste of my banquet. Our focus is on the last parable here, but it's in the context of the whole dinner party. That's important. The feast. What does the feast represent? The future feast in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to help us out. I'm going to just summarize the whole Bible and give you the culmination of all the feasts that God had historically and biblically. They all culminate in one feast, and there's one person that is the center of attention at the feast. It's Jesus. All right? Here it is, Revelation chapter 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That is the ultimate feast. It's a real feast. Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he had the final Passover meal before going to the cross, and he said, I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in the kingdom at this wedding. It's a wedding feast, which again is interesting. Uh, Jesus said, wedding feast. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, and yet it doesn't appear that this is a wedding but that's what he's trying to get their minds on. It's a wedding feast. Bridegroom, eternal bridegroom, Jesus Christ, getting married to his bride. All those who had put their faith in him. Old Testament saints looking forward to his coming. New Testament saints looking back at a completed work. The cross, his death, burial, resurrection. This is a real happening. It's going to really happen. We're going to really feast with Jesus. And the feast, it's a wedding feast. We're getting married. One of the gifts, listen, listen, listen. One of the gifts is a new body. (laughs) Oh, I need it. (laughs) I'm looking at some of you. You do too. It's a wedding feast. We're going to be joined physically with Jesus Christ. And we're going to enjoy an all-expenses-paid, unending honeymoon. It's called heaven. It's very real. I can't believe I get to go. I can't believe I'm going to be there, but I am going to be there. That's the feast. So then now that we have identified the feast, and it's very clear, that's the feast. What's the invitation? Well, the invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. To get on the list, you have to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only people that get into this feast are the people that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, I see your name here. Come on in. It's an invitation for salvation. It's an invitation to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life. So we know the feast... It's the wedding feast. We know the invitation. Think about the excuses. These aren't outright rebels. These aren't drug addicts and prostitutes, you know. These aren't people just out in some heinous sin. I'd like to come, but you don't understand. Life is going good, and we just bought an extra piece of land. None tell what they're going to do with the land. I don't know. You're going to build a second house there? 
you know, are you going to beachfront property? I, it doesn't say, does it? Just, we, things are going well. We've got a piece of land. You don't understand. We'd like to come, but just bought a piece of land. Got to go and check it out. The five yoke of oxen, got to go try them out. What is that? Well, in this culture, that's the business. Business is going well. Work is going good. Things are expanding. Paychecks are getting bigger. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. I mean, my goodness, look at the third excuse. I like to come, but you don't understand. I'm in love. I just got married, and we're just into one another. Nothing wrong with that, unless, unless that's what you're living for. It's going to end. Not going to last, no matter how good it is. The excuses, they're, they're just caught up in the affairs of life. That's it. They're just caught up in the affairs of life. The focus. Paul writes in Philippians and he says, I want to tell you with tears. He's crying as he shares this. Many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's interesting, after this, Jesus talks about uh, the cost of following him. And if anyone comes to him and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, children, it's not a hatred emotionally. It's just a, it's just a priority, priority. And you can get so involved in, in life and family and marriage and buying the extra piece of land and business doing well and, you know, getting somewhere in life. And life is going well. Life's going good. And that's the excuse. You're just caught up in life. And <laughs> did you catch when, when the servant comes back and says, here's the excuses, you know? Okay, then. Before he gives him the instruction on what to do now, it says the master or the owner. He gets angry. You say, that's God? He gets angry. He doesn't get angry like you and I get angry sometimes. He gets righteous indignation. I, I thought about this in light of being a parent. You know, I'm a parent four times over, five times really. We had one miscarriage, and I get to meet that kid in heaven. You're trying to get your kids to go the right way, and you want them to you know, be obedient, you want to guide them in life, and you want them to make wise decisions. And boy, what a challenge that is, though. And when they don't, and when they start to get off, and you just go, God, and you're emotionally distraught. But sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you just get angry. You're angry because they're making foolish decisions. You're angry because they're not listening. And here in the parable, I mean, the teaching is, you talk about the offer of a lifetime. I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you a home and a honeymoon that's out of this world, literally. You get a new body, you're never going to die again, you're going to be happy, and you're going to live happily ever after. I mean, it's everything you ever wanted, right? But you're so caught up. And the master and the owner, he gets angry. He's angry because he loves them. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said, how many times I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted to so bad, but you weren't willing. You weren't willing. And so he's angry. So we pause, just to ask the question. Very good question. What are my priorities in life? What are my priorities in life? Personal pursuits. Romantic relationship. It's a great challenge, isn't it? You know, when it's a challenge for even those of us who really have accepted the invitation, we have been born again. We are 
followers of Jesus Christ. But back in Luke chapter 8, it's interesting in the parable of the seed and the sower. It's interesting that those that fell among thorns, the seed among thorns, the the thorns come in and, and it's life's riches, it's life's worries, it's life's pleasures. And they come in and they choke the word. You don't mature and you don't bear fruit. I note also in the parable the intense, and it is intense. It's an intense desire by the master, listen, for the house to be full, for the banquet to be packed. The first ones make the excuses. They're too preoccupied with the affairs of this life. And so he says, go out and find others. He wants his house to be full. Now, I want to pause here. I want to slow down a little bit, and let's, let's look at this, this servant's responsibility and the goal of having the house full, the servant's responsibility. And the first thing he tells him, first thing he tells him, here's what he says. Since all these people are too preoccupied with life, you go find needy people, needy people. Now, let's think about that. Let's think about it. Just leave that up for a minute. Let's think about it. Does that mean God loves the needy people more than he loves the other ones? No, 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 no. He wants uh, the others. He wants everybody there. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody there. The difference is these people, things aren't going so well in life. They're poor. They're blind. They're lame. Things are not going so well. They're crippled. The difference is... (laughs) Their hearts are more fertile. Go find some needy people and invite them to my banquet. People who will more likely respond to the invitation because life's not going so well. Second thing he says is, reach out beyond your borders. We're going to come back to that. Third thing he says, don't be satisfied until the house is full. Don't be satisfied until the house is full. And then the fourth thing he says is, and I put them together, go quickly and be aggressive. Don't do this casually. Go quickly. Why? Because time is short. And I want to tell you, look, I've been pastoring a long time. I've been studying and teaching the Bible a long time. But I was so convicted by this text in a good way. In a very good way, I was convicted. A pastor can live in a bubble. It's easy to live in a bubble. You know, we're, we're busy. The relaunch of this ministry, and you know one of the things we do now? We spend a lot of time with people, people in the church. We spend a lot of new people in the church. Uh, they want to have us over for dinner or take us out to dinner. Absolutely, especially when you're buying. We'll say yes right away. <laughs> we just had dinner with a new couple last week. They bought. Praise the Lord. And it was a great meal. We had a great time with them. We're spending a lot of time with people. I give my phone number out to anybody who wants it. Doesn't mean I'll call you back, but you can have my number. <laughs> I'm a fellowship junkie now. And that's not, if you knew me from the past, that's not me. It's the new me. But I'm telling you, it's easy to live in a bubble, a Christian bubble. I don't want to live in a Christian bubble. I love you. But I want to do what the parable said. I want to find needy people. I want to invite them over. I want to reach out beyond our own borders. 
I don't want to be satisfied until the house is full. And what is, when is the house full? We're going to come back to that one. <laughs> Let's think about them a little more deeply, one at a time. Find needy people. Invite them to the banquet. Now, what we preachers can do, and it's not wrong to do this, but we, we would apply this, for example, in this way. We know the great banquet uh, is the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we know the invitation is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And so I could take this and say, okay, church, church, uh, we need to find some needy people and invite them to the banquet. Uh, For example, we have some special services coming up at Easter. We have a sunrise service at the Vinoy. Uh, We have a great service at, at the Mahaffey Theater. It's a great opportunity for us as a church not just to come ourselves and enjoy the services and enjoy the sunrise, but to reach out and invite others to come so that as we give the gospel message, they might have an opportunity to be saved. Now, is it wrong to do that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Find some people that you work with, people that your neighbors, people that you run into. Uh, go out of your way and, and go out of your way and find people and invite them because we want to invite them. To the banquet. We're serving up Jesus. And while that is an an okay application of the text, let me go back to the more literal interpretation and application of the text. And the more literal is, he's talking about a real meal, a physical meal, at a real home with some very real hosts. I'm convicted. How many times in my Christian life have I invited not just family and friends and people that I like and enjoy to hang out with, how many times have I gone out and found needy people and invited them to my house with the express purpose of just loving on them and hopefully, hopefully being a witness for Jesus Christ to them? I'm convicted. Let me tell you what I have not been able to get off my mind for months and months and months. People tell me I'm a visionary. My wife tells me, you know, I can start one here and I can jump over here and I can jump over here and I can I mean, do this and do this. I don't know how we're going to do it. Let's just do it. I'm not a detail guy. I'm just a visionary guy. Every now and then I get, every now and then I get a vision from God. I pray this one's from God because it certainly fits in with the text. You know what I'm, I want to do? I want to do this personally. I want to do this personally. But guess what? We can do it as a church. What might it look like? I put in my notes, a meal is a very personal activity. It represents and promotes relationship and community. Large churches often miss this very crucial element of Christianity. What if our focus as a church was more relational, more community-centered, which is exactly what the text teaches? What if, and I'll just give you an example, example. Now, it may play out a little differently, but let me give you an example. Uh, Let's say this service, there were no more seats, or by church growth standards, we were full. Well, what what is full by church growth standards? 80% of your auditorium. They teach this. 80% of your, if 80% of the chairs are taken in a service, you're full. You're not going to grow beyond that. You got to figure out how to get more chairs, how to get more space, all right? And what happens is, just like in, in my ministry in the past, you know, we ended up in a Walmart. We just kept getting bigger building, bigger building, bigger building. You know what I want to see here and what God wants to see here? He wants to see no room. You just pack. Because God loves a full house. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today to study the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. These books are the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. He came to save each person from sin. He offered himself as a sacrifice, taking the punishment your sins deserve. Today, you can have a new life because of Jesus. Are you ready to make that decision and give him your sins and accept his grace? If so, we're so happy for you, and we'd love to talk to you more about it. Please let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. We also want to encourage you to find a church home. Right now, we know that that's difficult, but we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for our online services. At ccfstpete.church, we live stream every Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 9 and 11, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Join Pastor Danny to learn more from the Bible and to spend time with us worshiping our Savior. You can also explore more teachings from this series and others at our website. One more time, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today. Know that we're praying for you. And we hope you'll join us again next time to continue studying the Gospels right here on The Living Word.